These are three very important episodes as Pastor David teaches us the truth about some tough issues, not what the world says and not what we often want to think, but the truth. Here's Pastor David. Many people are no longer asking, is Christianity true? They're asking, why are Christians such bigots? It's in a book by Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body. The last couple of messages we've done, um, a lot of the points have taken their point of departure from that book. And I recommend if you get a chance, you want to go deeper on the issues we've been going through in these last few messages, that you read that book by Nancy Piercy. I uh, highly recommend it. But why do people think religious people are such bigots? A bunch of people out there in the world right now are believing right now that the kind of people that are sitting in rooms like this, the kind of people who are the church and who are gathering as churches this morning hate people. Some of them think that the people who are gathering around hate them. I wonder why that would be. And I wonder why it's difficult to get the good news of the gospel to a dying world when so many people now believe that the prevailing attitudes, views, and actions of religious people, quote unquote, are negative towards them, are hateful towards them, are bigoted towards them. Some people are becoming apathetic about the very questions, does God exist? Is the Bible true? Is Christianity true? Should I follow Christ? And they're apathetic because they're so turned off by the people who claim that they believe those things, that even if those things were true, they would rather not believe them because of what they see as the result of believing those things. Now, that's a problem. That's a problem. If the truth of the gospel has come across as hate to anyone then it's clear we've missed something as the church about living out the gospel. We've missed something about pressing into the kingdom of God. And some of us right now, we're getting maybe a little defensive about that. Like, well, hang on a second. Don't. I can tell you unequivocally that whether it's you or not, people who have been, who have called themselves religious who call themselves uh, Bible-believing, whatever it is, have shown bigotry and hatred, and it has done damage. And we're the body of Christ. We're all one. So when one of us does good, we all celebrate. When one of us does bad, we've got to deal with that. We've got to deal with that. What is the main thing these days that people accuse those religious people of being bigots about. The main basic things right now, today, if you were to take it, are sexual practices and transgenderism. Those are the things that society and culture is saying that religious people, Christians, etc., hate people who would identify as those things. Some people think that Christians hate people who would identify as gay or transgender. But it is not so. And if it is so for anyone here, then confession and repentance is due. And that's something that you need to work through this morning. We've been in a series called Rooted 
um, a series where we're studying letters to the churches. Uh, these are letters that, that the Holy Spirit, uh, through Paul, wrote and put in the Word of God. And we've been dealing with the first letter to the Thessalonian church. Um, and we've been in the same passage for the last two messages and then this one. Um, and so if you'll get your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles, grab them, turn to 1 Thessalonians 3, 9, and we will read through verse 4, 8. I'll give you a second. If you don't have one, there's Bibles in the seats uh, around you. or have, If you don't have one, tap someone on the shoulder, have them grab you one. If you don't have one at home, take, take that home with you. Uh, that's our gift to you. Okay. Here's, what, here's what's written. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before God. If you remember, they were worried about the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians, had, they had had to leave, and the Thessalonians had been undergoing persecution. And Paul and these apostles, they're sitting here going, oh goodness, are they all going to walk away? Are they going to walk away from the faith because there's persecution that's come? And they found out that they hadn't. In fact, they had remained strong. And so Paul is, is happy and he's, his happiness, he, he's giving thanks to God because, of course, everything, Paul knows, everything he has comes from God. He doesn't have any delusions that it was him or his great preaching or some amazing thing like that, but that he knows that the Holy Spirit has sustained them through this. And so he gives thanks where thanks is due to God. He says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. They had been taught who Jesus was. That Jesus was God, that he was the Son of God, that he died, that he rose again on the third day. They had been taught about the confession and repentance of sins and salvation and baptism. They, they would have been taught all of those things. And so when we talk about faith, usually the word is we're, we're thinking belief in God, right? Oh, you have faith. That means belief in God. Look, the word faith is far beyond that. It goes far beyond that. He's saying, look, there's a lot more. Your faith is not perfected yet. And I know that because your actions are perfect yet. We talked about that a couple weeks ago if you want to go back and watch that sermon. Now, it says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. They want to come see them. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. He's saying, okay, I want to perfect your faith. This is what it looks like. You love each other like we love you, and if you're loving like that, God will perfect you in holiness. Holiness is perfection. You'll be perfect if you can live like that. And so, he, so he's going to line out, what does that look like? What's, what's in your way between you and loving? And he says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? You being made perfect. God's will is that you be made perfect, and this is how it works, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Why is that so high on the list? Well, a couple reasons. One, they're dealing with it in a major way. The world at this time the Roman world, the Greek world, the Hellenistic world is incredibly sexually deviant. All kinds of stuff. Their marriage was a, was a gong show. Wives were there to get children and heirs and, and money. But, but, but men were, had slaves that they'd have sex with and, 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 and men and boys and girls and whatever. It was a free-for-all. It was crazy. They couldn't take pictures, but they'd draw pornography on the walls. It was, they were obsessed with sex. And so that's the culture that we're coming out of. But it's also important because sex 
is a sin, sexual immorality is a sin against the body. And the body is part of who we are. We've talked about that somewhat. So, so he comes with that right out of the gate. This is what you all need. Abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, when you're, when you're acting sexually and morally, that means just for context so everybody's clear, anything outside of a man and a woman who are in a committed lifelong marriage to one another. If you're outside of that, it's sexual immorality. It's really quite an easy test. It's not, it's not difficult. And he's saying, when you do that, you are taking advantage of people. You are defrauding people. You are damaging your own body. You're not holding your own vessel in sanctification and honor. You're not honoring what I gave you. And so... For the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a number of things, right? We've talked about abortion. We've talked about sexual immorality kind of in general. And in both of these, we've looked at this concept that existed for the Thessalonians, that exists in the ancient world, and that exists now. Mind-body dualism. Mind-body dualism. This is the idea that the body and the soul spirit, or just the soul, depending on where you're coming from, are separate, distinct, that you are your mind, right? Mind being soul, but it depends how people want to describe it, right? You can come from a religious standpoint or an atheistic standpoint. They both have their different versions of this. For the religious person, it's, I'm really just a soul spirit, and the whole goal of life is for me to forget about this body, to meditate, to do whatever, to, to, to be ascetic, like, li- like not eat or like beat myself or like set myself on fire or whatever you got to do. You want to get rid of this body because you want to just be soul and kind of floating out there and becoming one with it. You know this kind of stuff. You've all heard that. That's sort of the religious version. Now, there's a Christian version of it too. This says the body's all about sin and the body's all evil and the world is all evil, but the soul spirit is good. Also incorrect. Everything is fallen. From the fall. And everything will be renewed, including your physical body. The atheistic version is, look, your body is nothing more than a sack of flesh that randomly appeared on this rock for who knows why, for no reason, and there is no purpose. And therefore, the only thing that could even be defined as anything like personhood is whatever's going on up between your ears. And so that's who you are and the body's not. That's the atheistic version of it. And these philosophies have led to all kinds of justifications of sins. Okay? Not just sexual immorality, but so many other things. And this was present in the world that the Holy Spirit through Paul is addressing here in Scripture. It was present there. Strongly. Uh, There was a, a religion called Gnosticism. And, and it was sort of, it's not just a religion, it was kind of an idea because different religions had Gnostic elements. But one of the things that Gnostics did was have this mind-body dualism. 
They separated themselves so that the body could be evil, and therefore, who cares what you did with it? But the mind was really, you know, the soul, the spirit was really something pure. And so that was what was really good. Okay? And they've made it easy. Those who have held this philosophy, those who have bought this philosophy, those who have caught this philosophy, which many of you need to check because that's, how, that's what happens with ideas. We catch them like a cold. But those who have caught this philosophy have, have made it easy to justify all kinds of sinful thoughts and actions that harm other people and that harm ourselves. And today we're going to look at another area, a couple areas, where this leads to brokenness. Same-sex sexual relationships and gender dysphoria. Now, as we set ourselves to this study, these are heavy things. As we set ourselves to this, there's two things that I need you to know and understand. Number one, my sin and your sin are not cleaner or more excusable than anyone else's sin. For the wages of sin is death. Whose sin? Your sin, my sin, everyone else's sin. It's not different. The wages, what you've earned through sin, through rebellion, through turning away from God is death. Do not look at other people and act as if your sin is cleaner than theirs or more understandable or more acceptable because it is not. It is sin. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That gift that we received through Christ's death, that was a gift that was given to me and was given to you because we needed it. There aren't people who need it more than you needed it or more than I needed it. We all need it the same, okay? It's a gift for you. You don't deserve it more than other people. You know why? Because you don't deserve it. That's the gospel. We don't deserve it. Now, number two, if you believe that number one is false, you don't understand scripture or who you are in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that to, see, to be harsh. I'm saying that to help you grow. We're here to help you grow. If you have walked through sort of this, and it would be understandable because it's out there, this sort of karma, karmic understanding of, of stuff where it's like, well, I have put this much bad stuff into the pot and this much good stuff into the pot. And so God looks at me and he measures those things. And it's kind of like, well, I'm pretty good with now. The person, my neighbor, and put a lot of bad stuff in the pot, right? Oh, that pastor Dave, a lot of bad stuff, right? Which is true. Thank, thank Jesus for his mercy, right? That's not how it works. So if you believe that, or if you understand that, if you're like, people who engage in these sins, they're on a different level, there are special sins that are worse and so on, you need to stop that. All sin equals death and needs the cross, period. Okay? So let's, let's keep that in mind. It's a guy named Sam Alberry. I mean, he was walking through some of these issues uh, in, a, in a YouTube video for Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, and, and he said a couple of things that I think are also important. He said uh, about these issues, he said, look, first, you can't avoid it, okay? You can't turn your head and avoid these issues. This is going on, and we are called, as Christ followers, to bring the light of the gospel and the kingdom of God to these issues, period. You cannot avoid it. You must not dismiss it. 
You must not dismiss it. It is not loving to dismiss it. I actually was watching the same video where Sam Albury is talking about uh, gender dysphoria and the issues that people go through and the struggles and so on. And down in the comments were these people, a bunch of them, almost all of them said the same thing. Oh, well, if you want to know your gender, just look down. Just look in your pants. True, but not helpful. Right? Dismissive. For someone who's hurting and going through something, you want to treat it like their pain and their difficulty is so much less than your own? Is that how we treat you when you come to us with sin? Well, just don't. No. That's dismissive. The other thing to keep in mind is that these issues affect real people. Real people made in the image and likeness of God. Who matter and who are experiencing pain. And for many people, when it comes to same-sex attractions, when people uh, identify as homosexuality, gay, lesbian, uh, bisexual, and so on, a lot of times these are totally unwanted temptations and feelings that they're dealing with. So you need to understand that, that they're painful. Also, with gender dysphoria, same thing. It's most of the time unwanted stuff. And so for you to add on to the top of that, is not what a Christ follower does. You want grace for your brokenness. You want grace for your brokenness, then you must give grace for the brokenness of others. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not going to talk just so you're clear. If you're wondering where I'm going, I'm not going to act like it's not brokenness. I'm not going to excuse anything that Scripture is clear about. But I am going to ask for us to have grace like Jesus did for people who struggle and suffer. All right. Remember Matthew 7, 12, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You want grace, you better give it. You want patience, you better give it. You want understanding, you better give it. Keep that in mind. The other thing is this. This stuff takes real thought and real discussion and real study and real care. A Facebook meme or some sort of just outright rejection, like this is so simple, you don't have to worry about it. That's not love. We walk with each other in brokenness to see the redemption that Jesus Christ brings. Okay. I, by the way, just so you know where I'm coming from, I have people that I love who struggle with same-sex attraction. I have people that I love who struggle with gender issues, gender dysphoria issues. And I love them. And I would protect them like I would protect you. All right, let's move on. Same sex. In, in the book Love Thy Body, Nancy Pierce writes about a woman named Jean Lloyd. Okay? When Jean was 15 years old, uh, she had heard about this gender-bending prom that happened at the local high school somewhere near her. So she decided to wear a tuxedo to prom to kind of, uh, you know, push the limits, show her gender-bending whatever. Okay? And she was the only one who did it at her high school, and this was back in the mid-'80s, so it was, it was kind of a big deal, right? She was saying, look, I'm not going to be stereotyped, and she lived as a lesbian, um, as, a, as an out lesbian for, for some time, and then uh, this is what happened. She describes this. She says, she began to trust the one who knew the truth of my identity more than I did, who wrote his, mess, his image into my being and body as female, and who designed sexuality and set boundaries upon it for my good. Now, 
When she started to realize that and starts following Christ, she lives a celibate life for about 10 years, learning to live and grow in love for God and to, and to experience his love for her body, soul, spirit, without creating dichotomies and dualisms. And then she says, this is what happened. To my utter surprise, a flicker of heterosexual desire emerged. As I approached 40, I certainly never dreamed I would marry, but now as I ride, I struggle to finish because my youngest child is tugging at my arm. My beloved husband, my children's father, will soon be home from work. That's not going to be the story for everybody that struggles with same-sex attraction and temptation. But for her, that is how God restored her. She recognized the issues at play, and she recognized that if God made her a woman, then the only proper the only proper sexual relationship she could have was with a man that she was married to. And she couldn't at a certain point, because she was only attracted to women, couldn't do that, so she lived celibate. And then God gave her some desires, and she married a man. Great. But here's some things that are really important about her story. She says this. Um, she wrote an article about seven things or something like that that I wish my pastor understood about my homosexuality. And this is one of the things she said. She said, during my upbringing, I heard a few fiery sermons on homosexuality. These days I hear declarations of love instead. They make me shout for joy. Amen. It always should have been so. But then she outlines a problem. And I want you to listen very carefully because this is a problem. At the same time, however, many pastors have begun accompanying this love with an shul of biblical sexual morality as oppressive unreasonable or unkind. Hence, loving homosexual persons also comes to entail affirming and encouraging them in same-sex sexual relationships and behaviors. She says, although I appreciate the desire to act in love, this isn't the genuine love that people like me need. Love me better than that. I wish you knew a better way to help me honor my body by living in accord with the creator's design. I was born this way, female, God did create me a woman. Please don't fall into the Gnostic dualism. We just talked about that. That divides my spiritual life from the life I live now in my body. Christ became incarnate. My very body is now part of his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. To act against its design in same-sex sexual action harms the dignity of my body. For my homosexually attracted brothers, same-sex sex harms their bodies even more because of their physiological design and the physical effects of going against that design. These bodies will be raised again. They matter. Jean Lloyd is saying that there is a unity between her body, her soul, and her spirit. They're one. They're not separated. And that loving her means God, recognizing that God has created that unity. She's asking pastors and believers in general not to sacrifice the truth in favor of some sort of dualism just so we can avoid speaking the tough truth. Because she's saying that's actually not loving. I actually don't experience that as love when you pretend that the Bible doesn't say what it says. Or worse, you reject what the Bible clearly says just to try to make me feel better instead of telling me what I need to get better. There's a lot more to this than we usually think, isn't there? And ultimately, we all need a Savior. And if you're struggling with any of these issues or with your response to them, we want to help. Call us at 360 
885-985-9000. Or come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get all the info you need anytime at axechurchnw.org. Well, that's it for today, and I really hope you'll join us next time for much more important Bible teaching here on Contemplate.